As you can see from the video there, we are in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in the Gospel of Mark uh, since the beginning of the year. Um, Mark was Peter's friend. Peter was Jesus' friend. Um, he was one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus had an inner circle of three. Um, Peter was uh, part of that inner circle. And, and Mark has recorded a lot of uh, what Peter wanted him to record so we would know uh, about Jesus. And so we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to end on Easter, just a good reminder, um, that Easter's coming up here in a few weeks. I'll be praying about who to invite. We'll have two services on Easter. And uh, so um, obviously I hope to see you there and, and bring friends and family members as we celebrate the resurrection together. The interesting thing about Jesus, and as we look at the Gospel of Mark here, is that Jesus uh, predicted a few things. Jesus predicted a lot of things. and um, One of them uh, was that Jesus was going to die. After that, Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And after uh, Jesus rises from the dead um, and ascends to the Father, what Jesus says he's going to do is that he's actually going to then return uh, to the earth. And as we get to the 13th chapter of Mark, which we're at today, Jesus is talking about his return. We believe that Jesus is going to come back again, right? This is, this is in our statement of faith. This is what Christians have believed for all time. Um, we see it over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus' believers believe that Jesus is returning again. Now, if you've been in the church for any time at all, um, you know that uh, uh, Christians have a number of views of kind of what will happen before Jesus returns. Uh, and uh, sometimes even Christians like to argue over this because we have the book of Revelation, which can be somewhat of a confusing book and a hard book to navigate. And when you get to the 20th chapter of Revelation, what you see is um, this millennial time. And usually Christians like to argue what will happen before, what will happen after, and what that actually is. And so you have this time where Jesus um, is ruling and reigning, and there seems to be some the peace in the world and peace in the life of believers and so forth. And so we've come up with kind of three orthodox ways to talk about this and maybe even a fourth. And so you have people who will say, I'm a, I'm a premillennialist, which means basically that they believe that Jesus will return before the millennium happens. Then you have those who will call themselves postmillennialists, which means that there'll be this millennial time and Jesus will return afterwards. And then you have those who are amillennialists who basically believe um, that the millennium itself is kind of a metaphor for a long time and that Jesus is going to come at the end of that long period of time and he's going to reappear. And then you have uh, those who are pan-millennialist, which just basically say it's all going to pan out in the end. Let's not argue about it. <laughs> this is uh, a topic that often um, pastors try to ignore on purpose because some people get really upset about this and they just are sure they are right. I remember uh, when I was in... In, in ministry at another church, uh, I, I remember talking to this lady we had kind of brought on staff, and she started to discuss, well, what do you guys believe? What's kind of the, the belief that your tradition usually kind of hangs out in and so forth, and what do you believe about it? So we got in this discussion uh, about what we have historically believed as Church of God people and in our tradition, and as she continued to question me, and I continued to try to say, well, this is why we believe this, this is why we believe that, this is why we don't necessarily agree with this other view or, or whatever, but I, you know, you're, the whole time you're saying, you know, you could be right. Um, and I remember her voice just started to raise, and all of a sudden, like, I'm like, well, you know what, maybe we should discuss this another time. And she chases me down the hall. Like, I, I, this is a true story, like she, because she is so sure. And by the time I get to my office, like, I am no longer a Christian in her eyes. And I, I just, I mean, I was, I was floored by it. And so, like, I'm scarred 
um, a little bit from these types of discussions. And so I'm just going to open this sermon with a joke, right? We need a joke. Um, so there were three uh, churches kind of on this uh, around this curve here, and it was there's a Baptist church, uh, an apostolic church, and then there was a Methodist church. And these pastors went out in their front yard, and they decided to put signs out in their front yard. So the Baptist pastor went out there, and on a sign it said, "Turn around, the end is near." The apostolic pastor didn't want to be outdone, and so he went out in front of his church, and he put a sign up there that said, "Turn around before it's too late." The Methodist pastor didn't want to be outdone by those other pastors, and so he went out there and he put a sign in the ground and staked it out so it could be clearly seen, and it said, impending doom. Stop now, and if you want to find out more, stop here. So this car comes speeding by, and he reads these signs, and he yells out his his window, you crazy religious nuts. And the pastors are out front, right, hanging out in their flower gardens because pastors only work one day a week anyways. They don't have anything else to do. (laughs) And as he turns the corner, you hear these wheels squealing and the brakes being hit. And then all of a sudden, you hear a big splash. So the pastors all run over down the road, and they look down the hill, and they look in the river. And there's the car in the river with the passenger in it, and the Baptist pastor looks at the other pastors, and he said, I guess one of us should have put the bridges out on our sign. <laughs> Some of you will get that in a little bit. <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, turn them to Mark 13. Um, we're going to end the, basic. we're going to read the end of Jesus' teaching uh, about uh, his return and the gospel of Mark. Mark 13, these are also in your sermon notes. You get your sermon notes in your packet there. Everything that I'm going to be talking about will pretty much be in there. Um, if you want to follow along there. So Mark 13, I'm going to read through uh, verses 32 and 37. It says, But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know what, time will co- what the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, And commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, or what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning, and this is what Jesus is talking about. When he's talk, saying concerning that day or hour, what Jesus is, is referring to is his return here. And he ends basically his teaching, because he's only teaching three people at this, this moment in time. One of them's Peter. Peter's Mark's friends who wrote this. And he says, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to everybody here. And so this teaching isn't just for a select few. This is, this is a teaching that is for all of us uh, to pay attention for, to. And basically what we need to be ready for, what we need to pay attention to, is that Jesus is going to return. Now, for many of you, that may make you uncomfortable. Um, But if you're a Christian, this should not make you uncomfortable at all. Like some of us get nervous about this. We get um, anxious about this. We are scared about this. But this should be something that we want. That's something that we celebrate. This is a time where we believe that there will be no more sin in the world. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be no more injustice. God will come and he will reign. He will reign with mercy and love and compassion. 
J.R. Tolkien put it this way. This is when everything that is sad will be no more. When everything is sad will be no more. There will be no more tears. There will be no more crying. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. And this is something that we celebrate and something that we wait for. Some of you have read the, God, or the, the book of Revelation. Everybody just say Revelation real quick. Revelation. I'm going to teach you something. It's Revelation, not Revelations, right? Revelations is a little scarier. That's kind of cool. But uh, it's the book of Revelation. Uh, and John, Jesus' disciple, um, wrote Revelation. And if you know anything about John, what happens to John is John is in prison when he writes it. He's on an island. He's, he's by himself. He's isolated. He's been imprisoned because he was a follower of Jesus, and he's spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, John is Jesus' beloved friend. When uh, In John's gospel, what you find out in the other gospels, what you discover is that if Jesus ever loved anybody more, like if Jesus ever had a favorite, it would have been John. And John is in prison when he writes the book of Revelation, and he's reflecting in Revelation about Jesus coming back. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have been around Jesus, I would have seen him heal people, heal the sick, heal the blind, um, love those who were broken, love people unconditionally. If I would have had a friend that would have never lied to me, never deceived me or anything like that and showed me unconditional love over and over again, I would long for that time. I would long for them. What about you? Have you ever had somebody in your life, right, or maybe a moment, or maybe people, maybe it's friends, maybe it's family members, um, maybe it's people you work with, maybe it's children that have loved you unconditionally and they are no longer around, or you have trouble connecting with them like you did in the past, and you know that your life is broken and yet you long for what you once had. You have a longing inside of you for that love, for that compassion, for that unconditional companionship. When John is writing the book of Revelation, I believe that this is going on inside of John. He's asking for Jesus to come back to make the world right again, to make that time right again, to fulfill those longings. And so John actually ends Revelation in this way. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. He wants Jesus to return. And this is something that we all should desire as well. We should desire for Jesus' return. As we desire for Jesus' return, there are some things that I want to tell you, and Jesus even addresses here in Mark 13. And it's this question, right? This is what we all want to know is how will Jesus return? How will he return? Well, I want to tell you a number of ways that Jesus will return that we need to know. The first is simply this. As we long for Jesus to return, he will return, but he will return unexpectedly. Jesus is not going to return on our timetable. Mark 13, 32 says this, but concerning that day or hour, who knows, church? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Right? No one knows. No one knows. So if somebody shows up and they say that Jesus is returning tonight, put your best pajamas on, come sit on the roof with me, right? Because Jesus is going to come and take us up. He's going to beam us up in the outer space or whatever. Do you believe them? No. Could they be right? Maybe, right? But nobody knows. They're probably not, right? Nobody knows. 
Not even Jesus knows. One of the things that we do know is that we're in the last days. We believe that we're in the last days. Christians for all time have believed that they're in the last days. They've lived as if we are in the last day. We just don't know if today is the last day or not. We don't. We don't. Only the Father knows. This is an area, and Jesus himself actually says that he lives by faith. And do you realize that? The, the, Jesus and the angels don't know. And he says, besides the angels, he says, I don't even know. The only person that knows here is the Father. The Father is the only one who knows. Now, we are not completely blind, however, about Jesus' return. We are given um, some hints, and we are told that some things will happen before Jesus returns. And so what are those things? Before Jesus returns, here's one of them. Before Jesus returns, the faithful will fall away. Some of the faithful will fall away. In other words, there will be false teachers and there will be events that happen that will cause people who have claimed to believe or believe in Jesus Christ to fall away and no longer be a believer. In Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, it says this. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. All right, so here are going to, some teachers are going to come, and they're going, to, they're going to shake you. They're going to alarm you. They're going to say Jesus has already come, that Jesus is in our midst, and so forth. They said, don't believe them. Even if they claim they have had a spiritual vision or a revelation or a letter, supposedly from us, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. And so what we're told here is that before Jesus returns, you'll find that there'll be kind of um, more and more false teachers that show up, and they'll begin to teach a bunch of basically false spiritualities, right? Or there'll be groups of people who do the same. They'll try to lead you away from Jesus. Last week, and I think last week, right, we, we talked about how Jesus is the way, right? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. I didn't quote that verse, but Jesus is the only way to the Father and so forth. And people will start saying there's other ways to God, and these false teachers will show up. There's other ways that the earth will be made whole without people coming to know Christ, without people coming to believe. There'll be institutions that will do the same. Trust in us over Christ. Make us more important than the church. All of this will happen, and what they, it'll try to do is to try to grab our attention and bring us away from Christ and his church and what he has for us. And I believe what will happen is that people, because of these false teachers and because there will be more and more false teachers and maybe even a great teacher, right, that we follow, that more trials and tribulation will come. It will bring trials and tribulation to our earth. There will be trials and tribulations because... The believers have fallen away, but not only that, there will actually be some natural disasters that happen as well. Mark 13, 19 says this, In those days there will be such tribulation um, as has not been from the beginning of creation, that God has created until now and never will be. I didn't give this in your notes, but if you were to go back and mark um, in verses 6 through 8, what you'll discover is that Jesus is talking about there'll be a time where there'll be, there'll be more wars, there'll be rumors of wars, nations will rise up against nations, right? It'll be a very difficult time to live. There'll be earthquakes and famines and so forth. Uh, also, in this passage here, when it says there's going to be, it's going to be worse, right, than it's really ever been, one of the things I think that Jesus is trying to get us to realize or to think about, I guess I should say, is he's trying to get us to think back to Noah, right? When God gave, the great, great, gave that great flood, 
and the earth became kind of more evil. The earth continued to kind of move in a direction that wasn't, wasn't good, and so God basically wipes out everything on the earth. But the, the purpose is not just to kill everything on the earth. The purpose is actually to renew the earth. If you read after the flood, what takes place is there's actually a renewal of the earth here. And one of our jobs, right, as believers and as Christians is going to maintain and make sure that we stay strong and what is true and what is right. Because God is, God is not going to get rid of his church during this time. There will be false teachers. There will be false teachers, but there will also be good teachers, right? There's, there's, God is never going to destroy his church, right? God loves his church. God loves his word. And our job will to be maintain our identity in Christ and who He actually is, and to make sure that we don't follow after the good teach, after after the bad teachers. Because after that tribulation, God promises to renew the earth as Christ returns. So it's going to be renewal. There'll be a time where the faithful fall away, and the second thing that will happen is this: is that before Jesus returns, the gospel will be be preached to everyone. The gospel will be preached to everyone. Uh, in other words, the, the Great Commission will be complete. Mark 13.10 says this, And the gospel must first be or proclaimed to all the nations. So before Jesus returns, everybody will have heard about Jesus. Everybody will have, an have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Right now, Right now, according to the Joshua Project, there are about 17, there are just over 17,000 people groups um, in the world, 17,043 people groups in the world. That uh, makes up, if you, can, if you put all the people together, the world population is around 7.5 billion people right now on the earth, and about 7,000 of those people groups have never heard the gospel. They've never heard about Jesus Christ. Um, that's about 41% of the world's population, which ends, which ends up being roughly about 3 billion people have never heard about Jesus. So if you're just asking me, do I believe that Jesus is coming back tomorrow? I don't know, <laughs> but it seems like we still have a lot of work to do. The 3 billion people have never heard about the gospel. 3 billion people have never heard about Jesus Christ. And it is our job as Christians to complete the Great Commission. Many of these people um, are in the Middle East, Right now, um, Afghanistan is one of the least reached uh, people groups in the world. You think of places like Pakistan. You think of some of Southeast Asia and so forth. And what is really neat as a church right now, we support Don and Carolyn Armstrong, um, who has been in and out of Pakistan recently a number of times and um, continues to get in there, continues to spread the gospel in these places that are unreached, in these places that have never heard about Jesus. And it is our job as a church to make sure that people have never heard about Jesus hear about Jesus, because Jesus will not return, the earth will not be made whole, um, sin will not be wiped away completely until everyone has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. He's going to come unexpectedly. We're not going to know when, he's come, when he comes, but we do know that at least these two things will happen before he comes. he come unexpectedly, but then he's also going to come suddenly. Not only will we not expect it, but it will happen quickly. Right? I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because it's sudden. If you notice in verse 36... We are told to stay awake because he may come back suddenly. And the truth is, what we can from what we can tell in the Scripture, Jesus plans to come back suddenly. In Mark 27, or 24, 27, we are told, Jesus tells us, that when he returns, it'll be like lightning, right? It'll happen quickly. In other words, right, there's not going to be any time to prepare. 
There's not going to be any time to prepare when he comes, right? No time to put on your makeup. Be ready. Be ready. Third, when Jesus comes, he's going to come personally. Jesus will come personally. What I mean by this, one of the things that I mean by this is that everyone will see Jesus. Everyone will see Jesus. Acts 111 says this, men of Galilee, why do you stand up there looking at heaven? So this is when Jesus, he ascended to the Father, and you just imagine, like, what's going on, right? And they say, this Jesus, these are angels talking to the men, it says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. That's how these people saw Jesus ascend. And then Revelation 1.7, here it says, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. Jesus is going to come as he went. And except for a select group of people seeing him, what Revelation teaches us is that everyone will see him. Everybody will see the body of Jesus himself. Right? How does this work? I don't know. But this is what we have. This is what we believe. And this is what we expect. Everybody will see Jesus. Not only will everybody see Jesus in this personal return of Jesus, but everyone will hear Jesus. Everyone will hear Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And so Jesus plans on actually making a grand appearance. He doesn't plan to be quiet about it. He plans for everybody to see it. He plans for everybody to hear about it. Jesus is going to personally return, and you will know about it. Right? So will everyone else. Everyone will know about it. And so I just tell you, right, I don't believe in a secret rapture. If you've ever read, read the Left Behind books, they're interesting, they're entertaining, right? But they're not true. Uh, what's true about them is that Jesus is going to return. What's true about them is that, that we should be ready. Like, those are good things to contemplate and to think about. But when Jesus returns, people aren't just going to be disappearing, right, without us going, like, what's going on? Like, did you not, did you not get the, like, what's, did something happen to her? Did she believe something that we did? No, it's everybody's going to see, right? It's going to be, he's going to be very personal. He's going to be loud. It's going to be a grand entrance. And so it's going to be a personal appearing, appearing. And then finally, it'll be a victorious appearing. He will appear victoriously when he comes. He'll appear victoriously when he comes. And here's what I mean by this. All believers will be with Jesus forever when he appears. All believers will be with Jesus forever when he appears. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16b through 17 says this. It says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Basically what it means is that those who have trusted in Christ and who have died and have been buried, those will be the ones who will rise from, they will rise from the dead. Resurrection, by the way. Um, this was, I just talked about this with a group of people, and we're going to talk about this on Easter and what resurrection is. Resurrection is not your soul ascending um, into like some spiritual realm. Resurrection is actually your body rising from the grave. Like resurrection is this right here, everything that you see right here being put in the ground and being risen back up and living on a new earth. Like Jesus is coming down and he's going to restore the earth and the way it should be uh, at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. That's, that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about resurrection. Yes, you have a soul that will go on living, right? But resurrection is when the soul re-enters the body and lives with the risen Jesus Christ forever on the earth, right? 
That's what resurrection is. And that is what the New Testament calls the resurrection there. And so those who have died will be raised from the dead to live among the glory of Christ, the clouds. You think of the clouds, right? Like you can think of the ones in the sky and that's great. But when you think about the clouds, right, even in the scriptures, here's, here's one of the ways that, it's, that the scriptures refer to the clouds. They refer to the clouds not just as something up in the sky, but the presence of God. When clouds arrive, you know you're in the presence of God. And so I I believe what's going on here is that the Bible is actually teaching you will be in the presence of Christ. You'll be in the presence of God on this earth, and it'll be as it should be. It'll be as it was in the Garden of Eden. And so these people, they are going to rise first. We get to, like if we're here, right, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, we get to watch this happen. I better find where I was at again. Verse 17 Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. There will never be a time when Jesus returns where you won't be with the Lord. He's going to come victoriously. You'll be raised and you'll be surrounded by the glory of God. And this is our final and ultimate hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 puts it like this. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. When Jesus returns, you'll never have to worry about anybody dying. Those who are dead will be raised. Those who you miss will be there with you. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. Everything that you have longed for, everything that you've ached for, Jesus becomes victorious over in that moment. That's how Jesus returns. And now we want to kind of conclude here with what do we do until Jesus returns? What do we do until Jesus returns? Well, Jesus' command for us is really simple. It's simply this. Be ready. Right? Be ready. He says, be on guard. Right? And then he says, keep awake, basically four different ways. He says, keep awake and then stay awake three different times. And so don't fall asleep. Live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. Live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. If I were to ask you this simple question or or to tell you this, what if I were to tell you this, not ask you this question? Jesus is coming tomorrow. And if you really believe that, how would you live today? If, if I told you that Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow yesterday, how would you have lived yesterday? Right. What, what would you do differently? Right. Who would you love more? Who would you call? Say, so, you know what? I need to forgive you. Who would you have a conversation with? What would be your priorities? If Jesus were coming tomorrow, what would be the most important thing in your life? Let me ask you this question. What's keeping you from making that change right now? What's going to keep you from doing that right now? Here's what Jesus tells us as people who are 
um, supposed to stay awake, to be ready, to live as if Jesus is coming tomorrow. He tells us simply this, is that we are servants responsible for God's kingdom, right? He, 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 he talks about it this way. He says it's as, as if he came and that he has left us as servants in charge in verse 34 in Mark 13. We are servants in charge. In college, um, I was home for the summer working, and uh, my uncle has a, he built a pretty large house on just over 40 acres in, in Farmersville where I grew up, and his house is back this kind of long driveway, and it's really just really cool house, farmhouse. And uh, he went away for a week on vacation, and uh, so he asked, they said, Josh, um, would uh, you mind watching over the house for me while I'm gone? College kid, sure. Yeah. Um, and like any good college kid um, who is deciding to watch over this house, um, by the way, it wasn't as wild as you're thinking, but um, I decided to have a party, right? Bonfire. That's what you do in a big farmhouse. And you're in college, and so I invited all my friends from high school. I invited friends um, from my, my college roommates came in and all this stuff. And so we had, we had a big bonfire. And so I'm up at the bonfire. I'm catching up with people that I hadn't seen in a while um, that I grew up with and so forth. And all of a sudden, my college roommate comes running up the driveway. And it's a long driveway. I mean, he put the house kind of in the back of the property. And uh, he's all tired, and he's, he's like waving me down at the top of the hill, yelling, Josh, Josh. And I'm like, what's going on? And so I run over there, and he said, um, uh, we, uh, we took your cousin's BMW for a drive, and uh, it's in the ditch. <laughs> and I'm like, you did what? He's like, yeah, it's in the ditch. I think it's okay. We'll, you know, we can get it out, right? This is, this is a guy who grew up in the city, and... and He's just assuming, like, Josh, you figure out, like, how to get this out. I said, yeah, we can, there's a few trucks and Jeeps there. None of us had a chain on us, but thankfully one of my friends, her farm is right down the road, and so we went and got her dad's chain for his tractor um, and just hooked it up to one of the Jeeps that was there, pulled it out, right? And thankfully, like, there wasn't really any scratches on it um, and uh, no, like, real body damage or anything, and so we just parked it right where it was, <laughs> just... <laughs> Just left it there. You know, my uncle comes back. He's like, hey, how'd it go? And so, hey, yeah, it, it went pretty good and stuff. And I said, there's only a problem. There is one problem, though. And he said, well, what was the problem? And I said, well, I, I had a party um, the other day, and uh, your dog hasn't come back since. And he's like, oh. And about that time, here comes his dog kind of running up. It was only, you know, a couple days later. I wasn't a very good steward of my uncle's house, right? But this is kind of what Jesus is talking about, is Jesus is going on a return, uh, on a journey, and he's going to return, and he's given us a portion of his kingdom to oversee. And I'm just going to tell you, I hope we do a better job of I did at my uncle's house, right? It is, the kingdom that God has given us to oversee is much more important than any, even a BMW, which I never told him about, um, or even the dog, right? Like, you are, you are a steward of what God has given you, right? If you have a family, you are a steward of that family, and, and, and Jesus is going to return, and he's just going to ask, hey, what did you do with it, right? What, what did you do with your family? You are a steward of your relationship with your coworkers, right? and, and he's going to ask, 
Right? He's going to return. Hey, how, what kind of conversations did you have? Did, did, did they see you acting as if you were a part of my kingdom? You were a steward of the businesses that you own. Right? How did you operate? How did you treat people? You are a steward of this ministry at this church, right? I'm, I'm a steward of this ministry. You are stewards with me. We're in ministry together here. Everybody that we host, everybody that we're around, we are a steward. We're responsible for God's kingdom. And because we're responsible for God's kingdom, we actually have work to do, right? We actually have work to do. He says we're, we're stewards responsible, each with his work. We're stewards responsible, and then he goes on to say, each with his work. Well, what work? To live out your calling. To live out your calling. I, I don't really know what your calling is, but you have one. You have one. Yesterday, we had a group of leaders here, and um, we had a pastor come in from uh, Ohio Ministries, and they were guiding us uh, on some uh, opportunities that we believe that we have as a church, helping us to see some things and hopefully um, uh, uh, take some opportunities in ministry. Um, that we need to. And he said something that really kind of hit home. He said, so one of the things that I say to our young people, um, or that he used to say to his young people in ministry is this. Uh, he said, I, I don't ask them, like, what do you want to do with your life? He said, I got away from asking people, like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do, we, what, what do you want to do with your life? Instead, he says, I frame it like this anymore. He says, what do you, what do you believe God wants you to do with your life? Right? What do you believe God wants you to do with your life? I think that's not just a good question for young people. Like, that's a good question for us, right? What does God want you to do with your life? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you may be doing it right now. Are you doing it for God's glory? One of the things that we believe as a church is that everybody has a purpose. You have, you have a purpose, right? Oh, I don't know what you are specifically supposed to be doing for God's glory, but there is something that you should do for God's glory, and God has laid that on your heart. And he wants you to do it. There are ways that God has specifically gifted you for his glory. I believe that all of you have spiritual gifts, and God has given you those gifts to use for his glory. And he has that work for you as a steward in his kingdom. Some of us can become overwhelmed by this, right? You do. I, I get overwhelmed by it sometimes. And I have to remind myself this very simple thing, that we are all stewards together, that we are in this together, that we are servants. There are servants, plural. And so we're not responsible, right, for the whole kingdom. The, the kingdom of God does not rest on my shoulders, right? It's, it's Jesus' kingdom. I'm just a servant in his kingdom, and I'm supposed to steward my portion. You, you are supposed to steward your portion. And I know sometimes our portions get difficult, right? Because sometimes the people that we are stewarding or the kingdom that we are stewarding, sometimes the people in them, in them get difficult, right? If you have children, they get difficult, right? If you have friends, they get difficult. If you have a spouse, they're awesome all the time, right? But it can get difficult. But the thing is not to give up. Because God has a specific calling on your life. And he wants you to continue to carry it out. And he wants you to continue to steward it. And when life presses in and when life gets hard, remember that Christ is coming and he is going to set everything right. He is going to establish his kingdom in the way that he wants it to be. And you are not on an island. 
serving God alone like John is. But we can pray like John does, and we should. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let us pray. Father, this morning we give you thanks because we are reminded that we are not alone as we come together to worship you, that your Holy Spirit is in this place. We know that you are here among us because your Spirit is here, and we pray, Father, right now, we pray that you come and that you fill this room with your Spirit, that you fill our hearts with what you have wanted us to learn and wanted us to take away from this message. We pray, Father, that you do come. We don't know when you will come. No one knows Your son Jesus didn't even know when he was here on earth. And so until that time, Father, we pray that we live like Jesus did, by faith, faithfully, by faith. I pray, Father, that you protect us, that we do not fall away between now and then, that no matter how hard life gets, that we continue to trust in you, no matter what confusing teaching might be out there, no matter the tribulations or trials that we face, Father, that we never give up on your son Jesus. We pray that you help us to be faithful. We pray, Father, that you help us to preach the gospel to everyone. We pray that we are reminded as a church that this is part of our job. We pray, Father, that we look forward to your personal return where everything will be made right. And until that time, that we enjoy the responsibility that you have given us to steward your kingdom. We pray that our love for you and our love for others grows so it feels less like work and more like a privilege. We thank you for what you've given us to do and the people you've given us to steward. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here today and they have never made a decision to follow you, that they would make that decision today. That they would receive you by faith I know that they can be saved by grace through your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, but rose from the grave victoriously and will come again to make everything that is wrong in the world right, to make everything that is sad and true. We pray that your son, Jesus, returns. Come, Lord, come. Father, we ask that you bless our tithes and offerings as we give them at this time. I thank you that often in the realms that we, the realms that we steward and the people that we steward and the work that we steward, Father, that we receive an income from that. And at this time, we pray that we are reminded that You've given us all that we have, and so we gladly give back so that your kingdom might go forward, so the gospel might be shared, so that people might be helped, fed, healed, loved. As in Christ's name we pray, amen.